Welcome, everybody. Great to see you. And thanks so much for being here and making River Glen part of your weekend. And I'd uh, love to have you come back next week. Uh, Andy uh, told you all about it. we got this big celebration uh, next weekend. River Glen started on March 2nd, 1997. And so uh, next weekend, big celebration of what God's done. And we're going to look forward to making an even uh, greater impact in the, in the future. And I uh, hope you can make it. It's going to be awesome. And uh, be a great weekend to bring a guest uh, with you. All right, uh, today I want to start out with an um, experiment, a kind of a, a group uh, exercise. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up and change seats. And I know that is a little bit inconvenient, but I really want us to experience something together. Now, there's one rule. There's just one rule for this activity. And uh, that is when you pick your new seat, okay, you can't pick a seat by anybody that you uh, came with or by anybody that you're currently sitting with. It needs to be with some people or with someone next to someone that you don't normally sit with, uh, maybe somebody you don't even know, uh, maybe a, a stranger. Now, I will allow some exceptions uh, for this uh, exercise. If, uh, if today's your first time, okay, <laughs> I don't want to totally scare you off. Um, if, if this is your very first time at River Glen, uh, you're exempt, okay? You don't have to participate. If you are holding a newborn baby, okay? Uh, you don't have to participate in, in this unless you would like to do so. If, if you're using like a cane or a walker and you have a difficult, difficult time uh, moving around, uh, you're, you're exempt too, unless you would like to uh, participate. So, for, but for the rest of us, we're going to give this a try, all right? And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up. Um, go ahead if you would and uh, please uh, stand up. And on the count of three, uh, we're going to have you find a new seat next to somebody that you don't know. Okay, you ready? One, two, I'm kidding. You can just sit down, all right? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to have you do this. Come on. Just messing with you. Go ahead and sit down, all right? Uh, it's interesting. Some of you that are really extroverted were like, you know, cool. I get to meet some new people. And, but most of you are like, I heard some groans, Ugh, you know, when I said we're going to do this. And some of you are like, you know, oh, man, I want out of here. <laughs> Uh, right now. You know, it's not so much the inconvenience of finding another seat. It's that feeling of sitting next to a stranger for the rest of our time uh, together. You know, if we're honest, many of us don't do very well with strangers, right? And I want you to hang on to that feeling, okay? That uncomfortable feeling of sitting next to a stranger. Hold on to that thought, all right? We're going to come back to that a little bit later on. Today, we're, we're, we're continuing with the series called Uncovered, and we're we're dusting off these ancient spiritual practices that many of us have forgotten. You know, they're kind of like an exercise bike in the basement that's used more for laundry uh, than exercise. But these ancient practices help us to become more like Jesus. And we keep going back to this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 4 that says, train yourself to be godly. Notice it doesn't say try to be godly. No, you train yourself to be uh, godly. Because there's a big difference between, between trying in the moment and training on an ongoing basis. You know, I think of my friend here, uh, Bob Brenner. Got to see Bob. He was here for Christmas. Maybe some of you saw him. Many of you know him. He used to attend here before he moved to Colorado. Uh, Bob went through a, a big transformation, as you can tell there. He lost a whole bunch of weight on ABC's extreme weight loss. And uh, Bob would tell you that he didn't just try to lose weight. He trained Every day. In fact, he actually had a personal trainer who told him how to exercise each day and what to eat. And, and Bob not only has not only continued training himself, now he trains other people. Because there's a big, big difference between trying in the moment 
and training on a regular basis. I think about my, my, my youngest son. Let me brag about my son um, just, for, just for a moment. He loves to run. He, he runs cross country and track in high school. And in this past fall, he had his best time for the uh, 5K in cross country. 5K is, is uh, 3.1 miles. And he ran it in 16 minutes and 55 seconds, which is fast. But Ryan didn't get up that Saturday morning and decide, you know what, I'm going to try really hard to run really fast for, for, the, for the first time. No. Uh, he tried hard, but for months and really for years, he trained almost every day. Those of you that are athletes know that you train and then the results come, and then come the results later on. Training allows you to do things that trying, you, you could never do just by, just by trying. And in the same way that training transforms our physical bodies... If we will persist in these spiritual practices, they're going to help us become more like Jesus, to think and live more the way that Jesus did. And so today we're going to talk about a practice that's going to train us to love the way that Jesus loved. Take a look at this scripture where Jesus gives us this challenge. It's from John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I don't know about you, that's a really big challenge. I mean, right there, to love the way that Jesus loves. And, uh, you know, if there's anybody here that's thinking, you know, oh, I got that one down. You know, I love, you know, I, I love just the way that Jesus loves. Let me remind you that just a couple of minutes ago, you didn't want to go sit next to somebody that you didn't know. Let alone love that person the way that Jesus loves that, that person. And so here's what we need to do. We need to stop trying and start training. And the training to love like Jesus comes through the practice of hospitality. Let's see. We've got the word right here. Would you say this out loud with me? Can you see it there? On a count of three. One, two, three. Hospitality. Yeah. Practicing hospitality will transform us to begin to love the way that Jesus loves. So let's get real clear on what does hospitality mean. Well, in the New Testament, the word hospitality... It literally means this, to love a stranger. Okay? Hospitality is the love of, of strangers. Hospitality is the practice of opening our homes and our lives uh, to each other. Marjorie Thompson wrote a book called Soul uh, Feast, and uh, she explained it this way. Hospitality is essentially an expression of love. It is a movement to include the guest in the very best of we, what we ourselves have received and can therefore offer. It is the act of sharing who we are as well as what we have. I love that definition of hospitality. But if you're just going to remember a phrase about hospitality, here's the phrase I want you to remember. This one right here. Here's what it is. Hospitality turns strangers into family. Let that sink in. Hospitality can turn strangers into family. And in the process, it will transform you into a person who begins to love the way that Jesus loves. Now, if we're really going to understand the, the, this, this practice of, of hospitality, we, we may need to work on our understanding of family. We may need to allow Jesus to challenge our definition of, of family. So let me try something here. When I say the word family, I, I want to hear what you think of when you hear that word. So, so when I say family, okay, what, what do you think of? What pops into your mind? Uh, somebody help me out. Fam Kids, yeah. Kids, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, husbands, wives, parents, right? We think about the nuclear family. 
And our culture is really oriented around the nuclear family. But if you think about it, in some ways, the nuclear family is really, is really an extension of me and mine, my kids, my spouse, my family. You know, I wonder if you've ever heard somebody say this before. They talk about their priorities, and they'll say this. They'll say, God first, family second, others third. You ever heard somebody say that? Yeah, it sounds like something that must be in, in the Bible. But where did we get that from? Who really said that? You know, I was trying to think of where I heard that, that, that first. Was it from Jesus? No. Was it, from, was it from our culture, our Western culture? I would, say, I would say yes. And so I want us to look at a story in the book of Matthew where we get a glimpse into how Jesus understands family. Let's take a look at what, how Matthew describes what happened here. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd... His mother and uh, brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Somebody told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak with you. And Jesus uh, takes advantage of this opportunity to do some, some teaching. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he points to his disciples. Okay? He points to his small group. And he said, here are my mother, here, here, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Interesting, isn't it? Now, is Jesus saying that, you know, biological family, nuclear family, doesn't matter? No, I don't think he's saying that at all. I mean, Jesus cared deeply about his, his, his family. I mean, when Jesus was on the cross, hanging there, taking his last breath, what did he do? He looked at his friend John. The Apostle John. And he said, would you be sure to take care of my mother after I'm gone? And Jesus had a lot to say about the importance of marriage and family uh, relationships. So Jesus must be telling us something else. Here's what I think Jesus is telling us. This idea of family is so important in his kingdom. It is so important in his church that, that, that it must become bigger. The idea of family needs to be broadened. This idea of family... It needs to be expanded. Theologian Stanley Auerbach explains it this way. He says, to be a disciple of Jesus is to be made part of a new community in which the family is reconstituted. We are all children, but now a community has been established in which we are all called to be parents, brothers and sisters, to and for one another. See, Jesus broadens our perspective and understanding of family, and he wants everybody uh, to be a, a part of it. I remember when I was a kid, I, I grew up attending church. And um, every summer I went away to church camp, Bible camp in Illinois. And I loved it. I mean, I never missed a year. It was probably the highlight of my uh, summer. But there were some things about this Bible camp in Illinois that were, uh, seemed a little strange to me as a kid. Uh, I remember at, at camp, sometimes the adults, the, the camp faculty, the camp staff, sometimes they would call each other brother and sister. They would greet each other. You know, that way, you know, hello, Brother John, you know, hello, Sister Nancy. And I remember as a kid, I thought, you know, that is the dorkiest thing. Why are they calling each other, you know, brother and, 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 and sister? That just seemed kind of weird to me. And sometimes at church camp, we would sing this song uh, called The Family of God. I don't know if some of you maybe know this. I think we've got the lyrics going to come up here. Um, maybe some of you recognize this song, you know, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And the second verse, you'll notice we say, Brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these are so near. And uh, I remember as a kid, you know, a child and as a teenager thinking, that is just so, that is just so strange. But as I think about it now, 
you know what? Maybe they got it right. You know, maybe at that church camp, they actually got it right. Because what I hear Jesus saying in this scripture here is that this is your family. See, what Jesus wants to do, he wants to get into your head and he wants to expand your idea of family. He wants to broaden your idea of family. And he says, I want everybody to be in my family. And here's why this is so important. Because if we just stick to our Western mindset, our Western understanding of a family, too many of us get left out. Singles left out. Widows and widowers left out. Orphans left out. People whose jobs take them to other parts of the country that they would have never considered home left out. People who look different and talk different and maybe don't live under the same roof as you left, left out. And the truth is every single one of us at one time or another have experienced isolation disconnection and loneliness. But see, God's dream for, for his family is bigger and better than any understanding of family that we currently have. And he wants all of his children to be part of it. No more loneliness. No one left out. And the spiritual practice of hospitality can turn strangers into family. And if we offer hospitality over and over again, it'll train us to, to love the way that Jesus loved. So let's take a closer look at what the New Testament has to say about this, this concept of hospitality. And I think you'll find that it's different than what we probably uh, think. We think hospitality means this, entertaining family and close friends. You know, the people that are on our guest list for birthdays and holidays and special occasions. But in Scripture, hospitality says no. It's about welcoming the stranger and those in need. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. Check this out. It's kind of countercultural. Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be replayed. I mean, repaid. Everybody does that, but followers of Jesus live differently, right? And so here's what you do. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Interesting, isn't it? Now, I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, go home and uh, tell your brother and sister they're disinvited from Easter dinner, you know. Don't go home and say, Pastor Ben said you're not supposed to come over for Easter dinner. No, I think he's saying invite your brother and your sister. But I think he's also challenging us to broaden and to expand our guest list. Here's a great question to ask ourselves. Who do I see that needs a family? Who do I know that needs a family? A friend of mine teaches at another church, and, uh, and, and she's single. And she wrote something very personal and shared it with her church. And as I, as I read it over, I thought, you know, I think that applies to our church as well. And she gave me permission to, to read it to you. Here's what she said. She said, I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you and speak on behalf of many people in our church that are just like me. As a single adult who lives far away from my nuclear family, there are times when I really need a family. In particular, many of the lesser holidays, they can be lonely times for singles. I travel home for the biggies like Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I spent many a Labor Day or Fourth of July all alone. Several Easter's I've left the gathering of my Christian family at church and drove through a Wendy's drive-thru to spend the rest of the holiday alone. She says it kind of stunk. Holidays tend to be a time when most biological families gather together, and again, that's a good thing. But there are many people sitting in this room right now who can relate to what I'm saying. What if every nuclear family in our church welcomed a single person or an elderly widow 
or a college student or a new family or a single mom and her young kids to join them in their home around their table. I thought that was so well written and such a good challenge for us to hear. David wrote a verse about this in Psalm 68 in the Old Testament. Look at what he says God does. God sets the lonely in families, but he uses us. That's what God does. God sets the lonely in families, but he uses us. And, and that's just a beautiful picture, isn't it, of what the family of God is, is supposed to do. And the practice of hospitality can make that happen because hospitality trains us collectively to love the way that Jesus loves. So what else does it mean to practice hospitality? Sometimes we think it means this. We think it means a beautiful home and a gourmet meal. But it's not about that. It's not about entertaining. Hospitality is really about sharing life. It's about sharing what we have with people who need what we have. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote, wrote, wrote these words. He says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And that word practice sounds a lot like that word train, doesn't it? Train yourself on an ongoing basis to practice hospitality by sharing with those in need. And sure, you know, sometimes people need a meal or a place to stay and, and we should help them with that. But you know what? Probably many of the people, people that we interact with on a daily basis, they just need a place to belong. And if you have a home of any kind, a place to live, whether it's a house or an apartment, if you've got a place to live and, and, and you have food to eat, you can change the lives of, of people because you can give them belonging. And belonging very often is the first step toward believing. And that changes everything. And I like how a friend of mine practices um, hospitality. And this is far from a gourmet meal. He's a single guy. And he didn't wait for other people to include him. He just went ahead and included other people. And uh, he, he did what he calls a grilled cheese party. A grilled cheese party. He opens up his home and he invites a bunch of people over and he says, bring three things. Bring a unique type of bread, a strange kind of cheese, and some kind of topping. And he fires up the griddle and they have a contest to see who can make the best grilled cheese sandwich. And doesn't that really sound like fun? Getting me hungry just thinking about it. Now it's not gourmet, it's not a five course meal, but that's hospitality. Sharing life together and it can be as simple as something, as something like a grilled cheese sandwich. And when we practice hospitality, people find a place to belong. And we learn to love the way that Jesus loves. Well, one more aspect of hospitality. You know, we tend to think of it as sacrifice, don't we? And, and that's partly true. I mean, there, there is some sacrifice. Hospitality does challenge us to give our, our time, our effort, our space, our comfort. And maybe that's why the Peter the Apostle had to encourage us by saying, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. My wife Marnie is, is uh, Marnie's really good at this. She, she enjoys having people over. And uh, she'll say to me, you know, we're having so-and-so over on this date. And I'll be like, really? You know, we're going to have to clean up the house? And what am I doing? I'm grumbling. Yeah. <laughs> right there. And then, you know, once we have the people over, I enjoy it. I love it. But it's the process sometimes to get to it. And Peter says, you know what? Offer hospitality without grumbling. And so there's some sacrifice, but in the end, hospitality is a blessing. It's a big blessing. Some of the most hospitable people that I know are uh, Kevin and Linda Kramer. And um, they've attended here several years. They lead our, our Celebrate Recovery ministry. And I asked them to share how they practice hospitality 
and how it has impacted their life. And I'm just going to read part of what they wrote. It says, uh, Kevin first met Manny when he came to Celebrate Recovery in the spring of 2015. A year later, Manny called Kevin in desperation. He and his family were about to be homeless and asked if he could pitch a tent in our backyard. They were desperate for any place to stay. We welcomed them into our home and, and we remember them weeping in gratitude that someone who they didn't know that well would take them in. They've been regular attenders here at River Glen. His four-year-old daughter typically asks us during the week if today is church day. Several months later, in October of 2016, Manny told us about his cousin, Pedro, who was living out on the streets and not doing very well. Pedro asked to stay with us, and so we took him in. Pedro has two daughters, Selena, 10 years old, and Aliana, 5 years old, who come over to our house on the weekends. One of the greatest joys Pedro has experienced was reuniting with his daughters. A month ago, Kevin was able to assist John Howard in baptizing Pedro. And then Pedro helped John uh, baptize uh, his, his daughter, Selena. Pedro said and it was like all the dirt of his life was washed away. And what a day of celebration that was. Pedro regularly attends River Glen. It is in Kevin's men's small group. And one of the things his daughters look forward to coming here on the weekends is going to church. Kevin and Linda continued, we do get asked occasionally, why do we do what we do? We're reminded of the passage in Matthew 25. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It has also helped us grow as we watch God working in their lives to change the trajectory of where they are headed. God sets them on a new course. I also think God designed us with a need to serve and love others. When we do that, there is a fulfillment we experience. I'm also reminded of how God designed us for connection. And there's a deep satisfaction when we come alongside others to love and support them. We cannot express the joy we experience when we help someone who is in a desperate place. It's like the heart of God leaps inside of us with increased energy. While we have the opportunity to bless others... We feel like we are blessed as well. Isn't that an amazing story? And I just love the way they keep opening their home to, to more people and, and practicing hospitality. And, and they just keep baptizing more and more people. And, uh, you know, by the way, we're going to have a baptism coming up in, in three weekends. And uh, if you'd like to experience that practice, we'd love to include you. So hospitality takes some sacrifice. But as you can see from the Kramer story, it's also a great blessing Author of the book of Hebrews says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, those outside the family. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, I don't think the Hebrew writer means that if you start practicing hospitality, that you can expect an angel to show up. I think the point is, is that if you start practicing hospitality, you never know how God's going to use that to bless somebody else. And bless you as well. And I know that, you know, all of us don't have, you know, extra rooms in, in our homes. And, and sometimes that can be a challenge. But I've seen people with small places, very small places, you know, open up their homes and offer incredible hospitality. And hospitality trains us to love people the way that Jesus loved. And it really broadens our understanding of family. And so here's a challenge that I have for you this, this coming week, okay. Next weekend, we mentioned this to you earlier is going to be our 20th um, anniversary as a church. And uh, I, I want to ask you, there's a card in the chair back in front of you. looks kind of like this. Would you go ahead and reach in front? 
and pull that out. Um, this is going to be a great weekend. It's going to be an awesome weekend. We're going to have extra food in the lobby. We're going to have live music in the lobby. And we're going to have uh, memorabilia in the, the lobby. It's going to be a lot of fun. And everybody that comes is going to also uh, get a gift. and be a great weekend to invite somebody to come uh, with you. And so here's what I want you to do. As you begin this week, I want you to pay attention to the people around you this week. Who do you see that needs a family? Who do you see that needs a family? And I want to give you two challenges. One is take this invitation with you, okay? And, and I want you to invite that person that you see to come here next weekend and be part of this family. Just hand it to them. Just, just say, you know, why don't you come with me to church this next weekend? And then second, okay, if you're having a meal afterward, just find a way to set one more plate or two more plates for them. Or if you're going out to a restaurant, Go together. Or if you don't have any plans, uh, make plans together. And uh, it doesn't have to be extravagant. And you know what? It might be somebody that, that you know um, already, but you, you just haven't really thought about them as, as somebody who needs a family. It might be somebody who's an acquaintance that you don't know very well, but God's prompting you to, to include them, to invite them. It might be somebody sitting in this room. It might be somebody that, this week that you meet. Of a stranger that you meet for the very first time. Who could you offer hospitality to? Who could you invite to come next weekend? I want you to think back to how we began this talk. I remember about 20 minutes ago when I made that frightful proposition to uh, find a seat next to somebody that um, you don't know, a stranger. I want you to imagine what, it would, what it's like to walk in here on a Saturday night or a Sunday night not knowing anybody. And feeling like everyone is a stranger. Imagine that. Or on the other hand, imagine what it would be like to walk into this room on any weekend and know that you could sit anywhere next to anyone. And it would feel, in the best sense of the word, like family. That's Jesus' vision for this church. Jesus' vision is that we look, when we look on the face of anybody here, we see a brother, we see a sister. We see family. And not only would it mean that we love one another the way that Jesus uh, loves, because Jesus goes on here. Look at what he says next. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so as people see us live out this vision of God's family, people are going to see in River Glen something that they want, something that they need. And we're not going to be able to stop people from coming here and finding and following Jesus. And so I'm going to pray, and then we want you to listen to, the, uh, to this next song. We hope that it inspires you to train to love the way that Jesus loves by practicing hospitality. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this challenge to practice hospitality. Just to look around, God, and consider who do I know that needs a family? Who do I see that needs a family? God, help us to practice hospitality as we train to love like you love. God, help us to recognize that it's not about entertaining. It's, it's, really, it's really about welcoming the stranger and those who need what we have. God, help us to know that it's not about a gourmet meal or having the nicest home. It's really about sharing what we have with those who need what we have. And Father, help us recognize it's not so much about sacrifice, but really it's it's an awesome opportunity to love others and, and be blessed as we do that. 
God, I'm grateful for the hospitality that River Glen already extends week after week, day after day. And God, just help us to, to, to go to the next level and, and, and become a place that loves even more like you love. So that when people walk in here, when, when they come in contact with people from our church, they will know this is a place that genuinely loves like you love and genuinely practices hospitality. God, we want to see your love multiply in us and multiply through us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.